This is a unique podcast exploring the criminal justice system and those involved and affected. We'll educate and expose the public as well as potential jurors to what takes place behind the scenes of those who are facing the system. Your host owns a litigation support firm called Justice Technology Professionals, and he works on criminal and civil cases offering support to defendants and counsel. What you're about to hear is an open dialogue opening the minds to the public to what takes place in reality as opposed to what you think takes place ladies and gentlemen welcome to the justice tech pros podcast here's your host dominic crea hello listeners hope everybody's doing well today Welcome to another episode of the Justice Tech Pros Podcast. Today's episode 96, I believe. And as you can see, the podcast is evolving and changing. I have my new virtual host, who is a bit of a representation of myself. As I explained on the introduction video, it was a Bitmoji of my image that I had somebody create into a 3D rendering, whereas I'd be able to use it with the software. And in addition, which is pretty cool, I have the uh, tracking. Um, it's actually called a leap motion tracking device. And it tracks, you know, your, your uh, hand movement as well. Which, I gotta say, as an Italian, that's a really good feature. Because sometimes I do talk with my hands. Not, not as much other times, but when I'm sitting at the podcast, I notice that I use my, my uh, hand a lot. And you'll probably pick up on it too, now that you're able to see what goes on. Now, the, the uh, tracking is pretty, pretty um, technologically advanced for such a simplistic item. It, 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 it really does grasp what I do with my hand. Sometimes I notice, depending on where I position it, it could throw the image off. It'll like put my hand behind me or it'll put it in an awkward position. But overall, I got to say, I'm pretty Im- impressed. Um, as I get better with this, the look of it will feel more realistic because... There's a lot of different settings. It's hard to explain, but they have different sliders, um, which basically is a way of changing your facial expression, changing your, you know, the tracking on your your eyebrows, your head tilt, everything that you do. So, I'm gonna uh, play with that as each as each episode goes by. I'll look into that and I'll see what I have to adjust and whatnot. But that's really more of a trial and error thing. So. Little by little, it'll enhance, and it'll get more uh, more um, accurate to reflect how I'm moving and how I'm talking and speaking, and just to really recreate the look and the image. So uh, as time goes by, I'll, I'll uh, polish that up a bit. As you notice, I have my uh, <clears throat> graphic, the Justice Tech Pros podcast graphic here, and what I, what I enjoy about that is I could put up different images on the screen, I could talk about them, and it creates more of an interactive feel. Uh, The only thing I have to really get my handle on is you have to use what's used hot, what's called hotkeys. Hotkeys, for those who are not familiar, you're basically assigning keys on your keyboard to represent an action or a background, things of that nature. So I have to master that a little bit. I picked up a device to help me with that, it's called a stream deck. Anybody who does podcasting or streaming, I really recommend looking into it. It's a little device, a square device, and you could, I don't want to get all too boring with the tech aspect of it, but basically you could just program the different uh, keys on that little keypad to represent the hot keys that you normally have programmed on your regular com- uh, keyboard. And it's just a quick way of doing it. Like right now I have to... Uh, get a handle on that. I'm not used to hitting keys. I'm not used to things like that. I use a different software. I use a different software with my podcast. And now with this 3D rendering, it's an additional type of software. So uh, it's getting a little complicated where I have to import things and, and change things. But that's all right. I enjoy it. It's somewhat of a hobby for me. I always took an interest in technology and software and programs. Um, one advantage that I'm learning, and, and as I start playing around with the different abilities of the software, I'll come up with different ideas that are engaging. But one thing I like is th- this whole screen concept, where I'm on the screen, and I could put up Im- images on the screen. For example, when I want to talk about We Push Back, I would bring up 
the We Push Back logo and the graphics so people could go check it out. And it just gives a little more context. And you'll see things like that here and there. I got a few funny ones as well. And uh, I, I really, I, I like the direction. So anyway, for today, I want to talk about um, a few different topics. I'm going to jump around a bit. Now, with that said, and me laying out some of the housekeeping stuff, uh, let me get into today's topics. The first topic I want to cover is going to be the case of the United States versus Matthew Madonna, Stephen Elcria, Christopher Landanio, and Terrence Caldwell. Uh, there's an update on that case, so I want to get into that, share that uh, with the audience a bit. Um, we initially had a date for our brief, and that was coming up. We were closing in on that. Everything is, and on that note, I must say, uh, obviously, I can't give anything away. I can't talk about the context of it, but the the uh, brief is coming along excellent. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, let me see how to word this. We had some le some some legal minds in the in the. Uh, in the arena, some great, great and respected legal minds weighed in on a lot of what we're doing. And uh, all I could say is that I was told, again, this is the second time I was told that if you're an appeal lawyer, this is the case you want. So that's all I could really say on that. Uh, th that gave me anyway the context I needed. So um, um, we're all very confident. It's just a slow process, and it's a matter of what the resolution will wind up being but we're very confident that there's going to be uh, a level of relief. And we have a lot of outside, as I said, uh, independent, non-vested legal minds who share the same, the same belief that we do. So that, that's always a plus. Now, does that guarantee anything? Of course not. All you could do is give it your best shot and see how it goes from there. And that's what we're doing. We're going to give it the best shot. Um, so... Getting back to the scheduling and the timeline, we had our brief prepared for a certain date coming up uh, this month, and unfortunately, one of the defendants, um, one of the attorneys for one of the defendants, I should say, passed away unexpectedly. Attorney John Maringolo, who was Christopher Londonio's um, attorney, Christopher Londonio was his client, had passed away suddenly. Um, very shame. Uh, my heart goes out to his family and all those impacted. So as we know, it's just, and obviously, of course, it's tragedy for John. I didn't mean to minimalize that. I just, my thoughts as of now go to the family and the friends and all his loved ones, but an absolute tragedy. So with that factored in now, um, logistic-wise, what happens is you have to go to the court introduce a new attorney, bring on a new attorney. For, the client has to bring on a new attorney and get them up to speed. So what we're trying to do is just minimize the amount of time that's going to take. And fortunately, we have a really good defense team between all the defendants and the attorneys and the teams and the paralegals. We have a pretty good squad. Everybody works very well and in tandem. So I'm very confident we could get anybody new that is entering the case up to speed in, in no time. So we, none of us really forecast a heavy delay, maybe a 45-day, 60-day delay for submission. So we'll see how that plays out. Time will tell. Um, and that's pretty much where we're at with the submission. Once it's in and we submitted it, I'm going to do an episode talking about the submission. I'll show some of the key points we made and go from there. Uh, the way it works is we put in our submission and then the government responds, and then we respond, and then the appellate decides if they're going to call us in, ask questions, or they're going to rule strictly on the brief. So it's a bit of a process. It's going to take a little while, but at least we're at that point, and that's what's most important. Between the delays with COVID and other delays, uh, this process is taking longer than it normally does, but you have to be patient sometimes and just hope that justice will prevail, the truth will be laid out, and the three appellate judges will understand that our argument is strong and valid. So we shall see. All you ask for is a fair chance with no bias, going by the law, going by what's written, and going by how the law was applied during that trial. 
So you get three judges who are in sync with that. We have a phenomenal shot. As I said, very confident. We'll see how it plays out. I, I wish I could get into more because, to be honest with you, the more we compile, the more we put together uh, this, this um, appeal in conjunction with the Rule 33, it's, it's very powerful. And we had a few that are members of the team where they, where they said it's one of the most, if not the most, powerful submission that they have worked on. So again, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I just wanted to give the listeners and those following along a little insight about where we're at with that process. Now, the other thing I want to kind of dive into a bit, which I cover a lot and also is the focus of the We Push Back website, uh, wepushback.com, I want to get into just the informants and the atmosphere on YouTube with the informants and explore that a bit and just give some of my some of my input as it relates to current environment and current behavior. <clears throat> For those who are not familiar uh, or have not listened to maybe a past show, maybe a new subscriber or whatnot, I just want to give a little bit of an overview. For a while now, years, there has been many government informants on YouTube trying to make a career out of YouTube, trying to basically become famous, get interviews, get book deals, really just exploit that aspect of the media, of the public, to whereas they could utilize telling their stories and make money off of that. Basically making money off of lies as far as I'm concerned because the episodes that I hear are plagued with lies and misinformation. So for a while, that, that has been going on, There's, and, and more informants keep uh, popping up. I guess that's kind of like the informant playbook. You go, you testify, and when you're done testifying, you go on YouTube, create a channel, tell a lot of BS, make yourself somebody that you're not to really impress people. I mean, I'll give an example. I've seen one. <laughs> it's just, it's all about playing that part, you know, that big part of being like this crazy, crazy uh, gangster. And it was never so apparent as in recently I, I came across an episode from an informant that we've been downloading their material. Um, none of the cases I've been involved with are really related to this informant. But as I always say, my office houses whatever we could based on the material the informants put out there in hopes that it could help a defendant shed some light on the truth of various claims that they make. And one of the episodes of, of a new informant that's on the YouTube scene, uh, I, I, I don't remember the guy's name. It may have been an informant known as Anthony Arliata or something along those lines. I'm not familiar with the guy. I know he's an informant. I'm not really sure about all the different people he put away and what his role was. But be that as it may, the point I'm trying to make is one of the episodes I saw, they were in some kind of... <laughs> Uh, quote unquote social club, I guess, and I, I don't know what kind of social club that is where they allow informants to hang out. So to me, that's not a social club. I think that's more like a stage set. I think they're uh, whoever wants to claim that's a social club better get their head examined because from my experience and things I heard, uh, social clubs aren't too crazy about having informants in them. But what do I know? So anyway, they're playing the part. The point of why I'm telling you this is you have to understand what's subliminally going on. They're playing the part of being at these social clubs, being accepted, uh, to kind of downplay what they did. And to almost goat people, to almost um, really show people like, yeah, okay, I lied, I put people away, I testified, I informed, and I'm out, I'm hanging at social clubs, I'm smoking cigars, I'm still playing the part. So for me, I think that's an important clip. When my office took these different clips, I always look at ways these things could be utilized. And for me, a clip like that would be extremely powerful in court. Uh, when you're on trial, my, my strategy would be when you have these different informants go up and say they gave up the life, they regret it, they want to make changes. Well, now, if that was me, I'd say, okay, let's pull up this clip from YouTube epi uh, episode number 10, whatever it was. 
You're hanging, and I would ask questions along the line. So what's the point of you hanging out in a social club? The stereotypical environment where they try to say organized crime members hang out and, and come up with these master plans of world domination. So you could really use that and show as a visual to the jury and as an example that what they claim on trial and what I would do is I would pull all their 5K1 letters and I would read the 5K1 letter because if you haven't noticed the 5K1 letters, I spoke about that on a past episode. That's the letter the government gives uh, to the judge when they're sentencing the informant after they worked with the judge, worked on the case. It's like a review letter. It just basically tells the judge this guy is valuable and these are all the quote-unquote bad guys he helped put away. Now, in a lot of those 5K1 letters, if not all of them, every one of these informants denounced the so-called life they were involved in. They want nothing to do with it, nothing to do with the people. They want to become a new person and uh, move on with their life. So now when you start showing them sitting, recreating their past life environments, going to social clubs, smoking the big cigars, playing the part, you know, the typical gangster part that you see in all the movies with the with, with the loud, obnoxious Gavone chewing on the cigar, talking like an idiot. That's what they're trying to, to recreate. And people eat that up. You get a lot of people, I mean, look at their subscribers. They eat that up. They love it. They feel like they're in a movie watching a real-life gangster, you know? So people eat that up. And that's fine. Listen, you know, my, my purpose here is not to stop any of these uh, informants from doing their job, doing their podcast. I almost said job, but I have a hard time calling a podcast a job unless you're like Joe Rogan or something. But anyway, um, their performance on uh, on YouTube, I couldn't care what they say or what they do on there. For for me, I try to use that to help others. So let them go on there. Let them say whatever they got to say. I think defense teams and families and friends just need to pay attention and make sure they capture anything relevant that could help. Uh, going back to, you know, the appeal I was talking about earlier, one of the most powerful portions of our appeal is going to be the Rule 33 submission appellate on the appellate level because we submit the Rule 33 and now you attach it with the appeal and you could elaborate on it. And that's going to be one of our most powerful submissions based on the informant's own words on their podcasts. And that's what's going to be vital. So it's, it's from the outside looking in for the general public, they, they see these different um, ex-gangsters who are now claiming to be reformed and they're watching them tell their stories, and they really don't know what's true, what's not. And that's why it's very important for an opposition to exist. And that all has to do with the whole we push back concept. It's just important to show another side of things. For far too long, you're only just seeing these informants on these podcasts. You're not getting any kind of other side of things. It's just a one-way street. So the importance of of utilizing their material versus the truth, showing the compare and contrast, and showing the differences in personality based on what took place on the stand against what is going on now currently is a very powerful tool for a strategic defense plan. And I, I mentioned this last episode, I've had a few defense teams that I'm not aware of, I've never met, contact me for various clips along those lines just to spotlight behavior and what goes on. Because it may not be the informant that's relevant to your case, but if you could show a pattern and show all the different informants and what they did at each time, this one started a podcast, this one started a podcast, this one started a podcast, and, and you kind of show those things and highlight those things, they improve the quality and the effectiveness of the case, and they also show that the claims the defense is making about the person on the stand not really being the person, uh, not portraying the individual who they truly are by showing examples, current examples uh, of that, you could then give a visual to what your argument may be. And a visual is always very powerful. When people see that you're saying, you're telling the jury, ladies and gentlemen, these are not changed men. They're going to repeat the exact same pattern. They're just basically looking to lie on somebody else to avoid accountability. And now if you start playing clips of informant A, informant B, informant C, informant D, doing all those things, it's going to be a powerful, a, a powerful segment within your defense. 
And uh, that's why the threats are so important. These informants can't help themselves. They cannot help themselves. They look to threaten everybody. Any chance they get, they like to threaten. I've had more threats come my way uh, on comments, on their podcasts. I had these uh, morons trying to talk tough on the podcast, which always makes me laugh. And that goes for anybody. Anybody uh, that talks tough uh, in, in this kind of atmosphere, it's crazy to me. For me personally, confrontation is something that needs to be done face-to-face. You need to look in somebody's eyes when there's confrontation, if there's a conflict, and you need to sort it out in that kind of space. Virtually, I don't get it. I don't get confrontations virtually uh, when they get heated. Now, I understand debates and whatnot, but when you get people threatening and attacking, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to bust you up and all that nonsense, I find that amusing. I find it comical, and every informant re- resorts to that especially when you start pushing back against their narrative. When you start saying, hey, what you're saying is a crock of BS, I'm going to show you why it's a crock of BS, then you're going to see them start to spiral in all of their little sub-channels. And and to me, a lot of these channels that follow, <clears throat> excuse me, that follow this, the genre of, um, I guess, mob-related content, a lot of those channels, in my opinion, are a tool for a lot of these informants. I believe um, these informants, they try to win over the people. They try to win over the public. And how do they do that? They hook up with a lot of these channels that are so starstruck by them. You have a lot of people on the internet that are just amazed by the mob. That's just how it goes. Think about it. You have have people who do... um, clip channels where they'll just p- pull all different news sources, all different uh, stories about gangsters and organized crime, and that's all they'll post on their channel. Then you'll get other channels who do biographies on people, all about mobsters, fascinated. They'll be in uh, forums all day talking about mobsters, talking about their life, talking about their family. That's just what these people do. That's their life. So when you have content creators who have this holier-than-thou opinion of the informant, where they feel these informants walk on water, the informant will approach a lot of these smaller channels and schmooze them. They'll use their uh, charisma, they'll use whatever they can uh, to schmooze them and get them pretty much under their wing. And by doing that, If you notice, if you sit back and watch these smaller channels who align with these informants, you have, as I said, the the channels who do the clips on the news stories about gangsters, the biographies on gangsters. Then you got the the channels that just go on every day abusing family members who they think are uh, somehow related to somebody in organized crime. They devote their whole channel to that topic, to attacking the adversaries, let's call it, of the informants. And when you have the clip channel showing the news source, news stories, or you have the channels and the websites that are just devoted to biographies, it's all one big picture, folks. It's all one big picture for the public where they're absorbing all this different information from all these different angles where it creates, it creates a hard, for anybody who's simple-minded, that is, it creates a hard internal gauge to really judge somebody who's labeled with organized crime fairly. And that's that's the problem I see. My, my issue, people try to say I'm on here to defend gangsters and all that and defend bad guys and all that BS. Never once did I ever do that. Never once did I ever come across that way. My only purpose is to show another side of things. This way the general public has the whole picture as opposed to just one side. And that's why it's so important. And, and right now, the information coming at the public is very one-sided between the media, the, the, the streamlined media, such as the big news networks, and now all the little podcasts. It's flooded with information to pretty much put a bias in anybody's head that if, if somebody's accused of being a member of organized crime, they're a bad person, deserve to go to jail, irrelevant of the facts. Forget about the facts, irregardless of the facts. That, in my opinion, is the subliminal message that goes on with all these channels, with all these stories, and with all that. And if you notice all of these channels, they're very cordial and friendly with all these informants because they're all kind of got the same purpose. They want to make money on uh, 
they really want to make money on the whole concept of being a gangster or knowing about gangster. But in the same breath, they want to say, oh, these guys are low lives, they're degenerates, they're bad people. But yet that's all they talk about. I mean, for me, a pedophile is a low life piece of shit. No, I didn't mean to curse, but I can't help it when I bring them up. But a low life degenerate, nothing worse than a pedophile, right? So you're not going to see me having topics and talking about pedophiles. So that's why I find it funny. In one breath, all of these creators who supposedly hate gangsters, gangsters are bad people, and, and, I, and I get it. I understand gangsters do a lot of bad things. It's a fact, just how it goes. But for me personally, I judge everybody individually, and I judge everybody on the facts. I want to know what they did, what is factual, what's not, what are they being lied on. I look at things, obviously, a little differently. I'm more about the character of a person, not a blanket label. I know good and bad and everything. I uh, know police officers. Some are real, not good people, not good people. And then there's some police officers who are doing their job, trying to just protect the public. You have to respect somebody like that. They're just a good person. They're just trying to uphold the law, try, trying to live by what they signed up for and do their job. Uh, there's good doctors. There's bad doctors. I could go on and on. My point just is there's good and bad in everything. I don't paint anything with a broad paintbrush like that uh, regarding the topics I'm talking about. Now, if you're talking about pedophiles, like I said, yeah, that I paint <laughs> one broad topic. So uh, that's just the way it goes. And my point just is if you hate something, the, these creators, a lot of them go on saying how much they hate gangsters, how they hate people, how they hate organized crime. But yet every night they're talking about it. They'll have an informant on, ask them about their past life, ask them to tell stories about gangsters. So if you hate something that much, would you really talk about it 24-7? I'm really not into math. I'm not going to come on here and talk about geometry 24-7. Just not for me. I'm not going to get into cal calculus or thermodynamics. I'm not going to get into that. It's not for me, you know. Uh, calculations and formulas, I understood them. I actually took civil engineering for a few years, so I understand the concepts of physics and thermodynamics. Guess what? Bored the heck out of me, didn't want to be bothered, moved on to something else. So my point is, if you don't like something, you're not going to talk about it day in, day out. I think a lot of these people um, just really want to be... Uh, they, they, they want to almost build a social dynamic on the internet. They want to create friends. They want to uh, hang out with ex-mobsters and foremans on the internet. That's what they enjoy. Hey, to each their own. But I just find it very funny when you see in one breath they're abusing anybody they consider a bad guy, anybody they consider organized crime, and they're praising these informants. They're saying, oh, they're good. <laughs> and the funny part is they'll try to say, oh, they're changed. They're doing, they're doing that. But just go check out the WePushBack.com channel and you tell me if they're changed. And that's just a little piece of what is representative of the behavior that goes on on YouTube from these uh, informants. Um, I'm going to be populating that a lot more. I have so many projects in the works, and honestly, with work, with this, it, it gets time-consuming. I, I have to schedule things differently. Um, but I always, I always pretty much check off my box. So if I'm going to roll something out, I'm going to roll it out. It just takes time. But I spoke about this. I have a lot of episodes. Well, I have many, many episodes. Some of the episodes that I have uh, are past clips with the informant John Panisi when he was on a show where he had a co-host and they were doing a show together. And I'm going to be really showing a lot of those clips, and I'm sure that's going to send a lot of people spiraling. I guarantee I'll get a million emails, and I'll probably get a bunch of uh, copyright strikes, which I'm never worried about because I just put it right on WePushBack.com. And honestly, I look forward to, to, to fighting some of those things because people don't realize... Uh, uh, fair use isn't really something that's defined on the YouTube level. Uh, they make decisions, don't get me wrong, if they decide something's uh, not in compliance with what they interpret as fair use, they'll strike you and they'll take your channel down. However, it's more of a legal-based concept. You have to meet a certain criteria for fair use, and it's a case-by-case -case instance where the judge decides. So depending on how far people take it go, you have an opportunity to argue your point in front of the judge. That's why I'm really not concerned, even if uh, things get struck or whatnot and there's copyright. Uh, I'm very confident in my rationale and what I can do to show uh, the compare contrast as to my material, what I'm talking about, or if I am spotlighting somebody's 
uh, episode or I'm using a clip from one of these informants channel, I'm very confident that in the way I use it is under the umbrella of fair use. But be that as it may, it's just the nature of the beast. I'm sure I'm going to get strikes, and that's just how it goes. I just really find it funny that the second you come out and you start going back against these informants and you start doing material that isn't favorable to them, man, what chaos it creates, right? Just think about it. The last year and a half for people who follow that whole informant dynamic and their podcast and then their, the little sub-channels of the informants, if you follow that whole entire area, you really see what took place this yet last year. And what happened this last year? We Push Back came on the scene. There was nothing like it before. There was nobody pushing back against all these guys. There was nobody pointing all these things out. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. There was uh, different content creators doing it. I should say it wasn't being done on a whole, whereas there was a bunch of people kind of in line bringing light to that, to that situation. It was a little sporadic, and it was few and far between. Now, I've been doing this three years, and I've covered a lot of different topics from informants to different laws, cases, things like that. Uh, and then I, I slowly started getting into focusing on the informant aspect, and that's how the whole We Pushback thing came about. I spoke about that many times. I'm not going to bore you again about the genesis of that. And I'm, I'm going to give a good example of how these informants really can handle being pushed back upon. Um, there was a channel, a content creator, Kane Shades Unk. He is a huge supporter of We Push Back. A lot of his videos are on the WePushBack.com. This gentleman was doing content. A lot of the content uh, was related to informants. He would show, he actually came up with a series called the Informant Ar Archives, where he's showing different stages, whereas various informants are being platformed on the media, and he's showing their appearance, uh, appearances and how the evolution has pretty much taken place from uh, way back in the day till now where you're on the internet with YouTube channels. He's kind of showing how that whole progressed and their different ex uh, appearances, things they spoke about. His channel was taken down. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that a lot of that, um, a lot of the reasoning why his channel was taken down had to do directly with the information and the material he was putting out on a lot of these informants. A lot of these informants that he was putting information out on have YouTube channels and have friends who have YouTube channels. So again, it goes to kind of coordinated effort of using their, whoever they have under their arm. <laughs> I hate to keep using that reference, but I think it's the best way of, of describing it. And to, to strike that content creator's channel. And when you think about that, think about how insane that is. These, these, uh, that's why one of my projects is going to be very important. I'm doing a compilation of all different things these different informants say on their shows, on other shows, where they're attacking people, where they're making fun of defendants, making fun of defendants' families, threatening people in the comments. I'm trying to put together a huge compilation just to give a spotlight almost. It will serve as... It will serve as almost a, an example, an overall example of what goes on. And I'm going to try to show each informant that exists on YouTube that is behaving in such a way. I want to just show what their conduct's about. And when you think about it, those channels keep going, but yet a channel that's working on exposing them and showing their own words to use against them, that channel gets taken down. But yet these informants are threatening people, calling women terrible names, abusing people's family members, abusing uh, content creators' daughters. Uh, there's a content creator, some of you are familiar with her, some of my subscribers may not, but there's a channel called Angel Gotti. I would check it out for sure. Uh, it's a very entertaining channel. But my point is, you have informants and their friends attacking this content creator. And not only the content creator, but her family, her kids, and their channels are fine. It's, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me in the sense that YouTube makes those decisions. Anybody could report whatever they want. I guess you could try. I've never struck a channel, uh, so I don't know what the process is. I don't even know how it works. But my point is, I'm sure it's very easy to figure out. Any monkey could probably do it. I'm sure I always see like a little dot, and it says like report this video. You could do things like that. So I'm sure it's a very easy process. But what amazes me is when YouTube is looking at this information, they'll look at like something that uh, a creator such as that King Shay's Unk puts on where he's just showing clips 
of uh, different informants and things they're saying. He's showing them in their own words. The YouTube administrators decide, okay, take that channel down and leave the channels up that are uh, ripping people apart, abusing people's families. I don't know. I don't know what the formula is for it. You know, it's it's my it's really crazy to me. But as far as I'm concerned, to me, I'm just on here to do my material, help good people. Uh, help people where I share common interest, any way I can help them, people who support We Push Back, people who support my channel, my, my, my supporters, my viewers. For me, it's very simple. It's about good people helping good people, and that's all I think should be focused on. I don't entertain uh, anybody I deem to be a moron, anybody I deem to be a lowlife. I won't entertain them. The only way I will entertain them is in person if they wish to get off all the all the nastiness on their chest if they want to get it off and they want to they they want to uh, vent a little bit. I'll definitely entertain that in person. I say it time and again. My address is always available. My website has all my contact information. The about section has it all. I have no problem with somebody if they want to have a heated discussion, heated debate, get things off their mind, tell me what they want to say. But I only do those type of things in public. So on here, as far as I'm concerned, it's as if Certain people don't exist. I don't acknowledge them, don't watch their stuff, don't care what they say, don't care about the comments, don't care if they do an episode about me every day. I had two content creators who are friends with the informants. They're like their little informant uh, sidekicks. Um, they'll do anything the informant says, and they did back-to-back -back episodes on me. How did I hear about it? Because people decide to tell me. And the truth is, I told my friends I really don't even care, so my friends stopped telling me. They, they know I don't give a crap. But other people, I think they're just trying to give you a heads up. They'll tell you, oh, this guy's doing an episode, but you want to know the truth, folks? It doesn't mean anything to me. They could say whatever they want. It really doesn't affect me. It's, it's on the Internet, number one. Uh, they're in a, you know, some far-off location. They're just trying to get views. For them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. You want to know what it's all about? for all of these different people. It's very simple. It's very, very simple. But all the people creating chaos, attacking people, you want to know what it's all about? I'll give you a hint. That's what it's all about. That's all it's about, folks. All this. All this. That's it. All the money. It's about getting views, getting clicks. For me, what I care about, I actually spend money to get views. I, I do the Boost Your uh, episode, which isn't cheap on um, uh, the Google uh, YouTube ads. That's not cheap, you know, to buy a YouTube ad. It, it adds up. So my goal is way different. I, have, I, I look at it like I'm spending money to get exposure. That's how I look at it. I want more people seeing it. I don't even care if they're a subscriber, they're not a subscriber. I just want people to see it. So I'll boost episodes. I'll, I'll um, advertise episodes. I'll do some stuff on, like, uh, I'll sponsor podcasts. Um, I'll get the word out. Actually, I spoke about this. I even wrote out what I did at the beginning to build my channel. We're joining Facebook groups, did a lot of ads. I even hired a company where every month they would do ad revenue uh, not ad revenue, I'm sorry, ad campaigns where they would put my ad in different locations on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, but it just got too expensive. I figured I'll just give it a shot myself and see what I could do. And I found that the YouTube ad is a good way. It gets expensive, but for me, you have to kind of weigh everything. The information is very important for me, and I feel it's worth the investment. I look at it like an investment. People are learning, potentially helping defendants. Um, my channel has never been and never will be monetized. We Push Back channel, never been, never will be monetized. I don't even think We Push Back can be monetized, actually. I think you have to have 1,000 subs, and I'm not there yet. But I never, I, that's not why I'm here. Uh, it's a nice thing. I'm not, I'm not bashing it. People who monetize, that's a nice thing. You make a few dollars, it's great. But I just didn't want to add that element because I wanted, you know how people will make stuff up. and they'll see, I just know how people are. If they don't like what you're doing, they're going to create BS to try to knock you down. So I knew they would say, oh, well, he's monetized. He's trying to make money off of people with fake information. Well, guess what? I'm not making a dime. This whole thing only cost me money. So I'm just speaking from the heart. I'm speaking from my own experience. And I'm speaking from my opinion, and I'm showing some facts to support a lot of the information that I put out there. When it's opinionated, I let people know this is my opinion. 
If it's factual-based, I try to cite sources and show examples. And that's all it's about, just putting the information out there. And who knows, one day, I, I may not want to do it no more. I may have said what I had to say. I may just want my episodes to stand on them on their own two feet, and people could revert to them to, to gather more information. That's the advantage of having things on the Internet. It's up there pretty much forever. And um, I just feel there's a severe problem with uneducated jurors as it relates to the legal system, which is not their fault. Think about it. Who's going to get an education on how to be a proper juror? So I just try to do what I can to enhance that and to allow for the system to work in the way that our forefathers wanted it to work. That's really all, all my goal is. And the key to these things, the key to having, when you're working with people and you're trying to put things together, you, you got to realize you need solid people. You need people of good character. I'm going to give you an example. <laughs> when I started We Push Back, of course, the simple-minded lying informants couldn't really think of anything creative to counteract it, so they had to pretty much take my name and turn it into something called like We Punch Back, you know, trying to be tough again with the violent. They throw punches. We punch, we punch, you know, <laughs> trying to be tough with that. So, uh, but from what I've seen, it's like this. they all fight with each other. It's constant chaos. One turns on another. Then they put texts out there, private phone calls. What do they do? They resort to what informants do by nature. You, you piss an informant off, what's he going to do? Tell every secret you have, right? Tell everything you guys ever spoke about. He's going to put it on blast. And that's what's happening. And I just find that amusing. It just goes to show how they built that foundation on a sand base. You have to have a solid foundation. You can't build a solid structure on sand. They built it on sand. And it's just, it's, it's amusing. And again, I don't even know what the purpose of it is. They say that they're against cyber bullies, but just put on a few of their episodes. All they do is uh, bully people, so that's funny. I had a few um, members of the public who I guess originally bought into the nonsense that a lot of people were spreading about we push back. And, and I was asking, well, where'd you hear this information? And of course, they cited this nonsense other movement. And I told them, well, I'll tell you what, take a few weeks, just go watch all the members of that movement, go watch their videos, then come back to me, and you tell me if they're against cyberbullying or anything like that. You tell me if that's legitimate. And then, of course, you know, once they've seen a few episodes, they had their answer. But I, again, neither here nor there, I find it comical. And if anything, it helps expose we push back because you have to realize the more it's spoken about, the more it's out there, the more people put it in its in the title or in the description, that's all picked up by algorithms. So I don't care. Abuse it. Pull it up. Say it's nonsense. Say you're against it. Say it's for free and bad guys. I don't care. You know why? It's going to bring people to the website, and then they'll be able to determine for themselves if what you're saying is accurate. And they're able to call me if they want an even clearer uh, explanation for it. I have a few things planned for the new year, um, media-wise, where I may be talking more about we push back on different outlets, and I'll get into that when the time comes. But they could say whatever they want. There's always going to be opposition no matter what you do. No matter what you do, there's going to be opposition. And it's your job to explain fact from fiction. And I, I always welcome that. I always welcome that explanation. Uh, some future plans... Uh, I'm going to be working on the upcoming upcoming clips. I want to focus a lot. I want to show one of the things I want to bring to attention, and I did a whole episode on this, but I want to keep bringing it to the attention, is how these hosts, with a lot of these informants, are not complacent. They're right in the mix. They're laughing with them when they're bashing uh, defendants. They're mocking them when they're making fun of family members. And I, again, I'm going to show you some clips of a podcast that may not be around no more, but we actually use this podcast in our Rule 33, and we're going to be using it in the appeal as well. So this podcast has given a lot of gems on many different levels, not only for the defendants in my case, but other defendants as well. So I'm going to be showing certain examples. I like to show the, the, the host and the informant interaction and the dynamic because I like to cite it as an example of why, I, why I'm against a lot of those who platform these informants because they're not platforming them to get the facts out. They're platforming them to hang out, to gossip, and to be one of the boys, you know? That's what they're platforming it. It's not about information. It's about being one of the boys, building a com camaraderie, smoking cigars, 
going to lounges, hanging out in social clubs, being tough, you know? <laughs> so I, I think that's very powerful for the public to see. So, um, I guess, one thing I wanted to just, uh, the last thing I should say I wanted to touch on, which is amazing to me, and I think it all goes back, honestly, I think it all just goes back to uh, society's fascination with this organized crime and the mob and all that stupid nonsense, because I've seen an article and I posted on my community page, uh, it had to do with California releasing like tens of thousands of pedophiles. Uh, and I mean, what more do I have to say than that? I mean, way before their time was due up in jail or in prison, they were released, you know, early release. And I just think of all the cases that I have seen, and even a couple that I'm currently working on, where we're working on compassionate releases for a client. Nobody I know directly, but I was hired to assist with that process. But compassionate releases, and you know, some of these men are Italian descent, and they're accused of being in organized crime. They're in their 70s, they're in their 80s. They have a lot of health problems, but they have that OC label. They're not even considered for compassionate release. And you have tens of thousands of pedophiles. And listen, I'm not telling you, oh, uh, one thing you're not going to get here, I'm not here to convince anybody. It's, it's irrelevant what my opinion is. If I think somebody who's, who's accused of being a gangster, if I like that person or I consider that person a good individual or a man, that's irrelevant. Those are my, my beliefs and my system, and, and I have my own internal guidance of what I go by to distinguish if somebody's a good person, how they, you know, that's irrelevant. So with that said, on one hand, you have somebody accused of organized crime, right? You have an old man, 70s, 80s, organized crime, health problems. On the other hand, you have a pedophile, okay? For the public now, which one do you think is more of a danger to society? I guess a lot of people may think the organized crime guy, but I, I just, me, I don't think that way. I just, I just don't, I, I look at it a little differently. Uh, and again, I think I'm looking at it logically in the sense that you're looking at somebody who's in the 70s or 80s, who's part of a, a secret society that they're being accused of being part of. Um, there's a lot of violent acts that go on within those organizations. But what impact does that really have on public safety? I don't really have to worry about my kids if somebody who's labeled with organized crime is out walking on the street. But I do have to worry about my family. If there's pedophiles running around everywhere, I got to worry about kids and nephews, nieces, cousins. So I don't know. It's just it's odd to me that it seems like people feel pedophiles aren't really anything to be concerned about where it relates to the safety of the public because that's one of the main main tests that they use when they're deciding to release somebody. Uh, their 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 impact on public safety. So I just find that amazing. And, and you'll also notice one dynamic that really threw me off. And I'm going to tell you a little story about it because it always stuck in my head. I'll go back to the story, but I'll give you an example now. There was somebody close to my area. Uh, they were in the newspaper, one little tiny blurb. Uh, the, the, the degenerate was apparently taking pictures of like young kids in his house, a real low-life piece of garbage. And it made one little blurb, he got arrested, there was a bunch of different little kids from his neighborhood that he was taking pictures of, and they had all kinds of stuff on his computer. You don't see one, one little blurb, you just got the one little blurb about it, and that was it. If somebody's arrested in these towns that's linked to organized crime, oh man, you don't hear the end of it. It's story after story after story, <laughs> you do not hear the end of it. And that, that amazes me too. I figured the reporter would want to keep track more on the pedophile uh, for public safety than, but I get it, I'm not stupid. It's the sensationalism of it when you factor in the movies and all that. I get it, it's just, it's upside down to me. That logic's just friggin' upside down. And so going back to my story, which kind of revolves around that, I had a client, as some know, I own a payroll company as well. I've, I started my payroll company in 1999, so I've been doing payroll most of my life. I had a payroll client for about 11 years comes to my attention, I see he gets arrested for being a degenerate pedophile. Now, I was making good money on this client. Immediately, immediately, I sent the guy 
<clears throat> a notice of termination, especially once I seen what he was being accused of and the witnesses coming forward and what was involved. There was no doubts in my mind. Now, oh, my arm just like broke there. You saw that? I don't know. It was a little glitch, I guess, with the tracker. But, but anyway, so I immediately sent the guy a uh, letter of termination. I didn't want to service his account no more. That was the end of that, right? Long story short, I see another friend of mine, a couple, uh, he's a business friend. He runs networking groups, all these different big networking groups in the area. He runs them. They meet, you know, people have coffee. When I was younger and starting out, I used to go to a lot of those. I'm really not that social. I never enjoyed it. I honestly always hated it. But those are things you got to do when you're growing a business, right? You got to do things you're not comfortable doing. So I, I don't go to those any longer, but he still runs them. And he was telling me that this guy, my ex-client, who was a pedophile, now the guy's already took a plea. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if he took a plea yet. Uh, I, I'm not sure if he, if he admitted his guilt yet, but it was right around that time. He wound up eventually admitting his guilt. And, um, and uh, when I say he took a plea, if you re I read the plea allocution. The allocution is really what you got to read when somebody takes a plea, and, and this guy was a degenerate. So my point is he's at this networking function, and my friend, my business friend, it's not really a friend, you know, there's different levels of friends, kind of like on here. Everybody meets on here and they think, oh, highest level of friend, best friend. For me, it's way different, folks. You know, you have your real core friends. Those are friends that are with you no matter what. Then you have like, you know, business relationship friends. Then you have the whole virtual friends, which is like YouTube. It's all different dynamics. Sometimes you could convert your YouTube friends to real friends, but I just have it on different layers and different... Uh, totally different philosophies on how I view those friendships. I segment it greatly, and I have different rules for different friends. <laughs> you know, my close friends, uh, it's a way different dynamic than a business friend or a virtual friend, whole different dynamic. But anyway, my point just is he was telling me that all these people at the networking event had no problem with the guy, talking to the guy, hanging out with the guy, and man, I, I, I just I couldn't wrap my head around that. This society is really crazy, folks. It really is. If I was at that networking function, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Let's put it this way. I just wouldn't be talking to the guy. That's all I'm going to say. I wouldn't be talking to the guy. But that's just crazy. People, uh, and to me, that's just a little glimpse into society. And I, they, they look at if somebody's a gangster. or they, they look at that in a worse way than if somebody's a pedophile. And I just don't get it. I just, I don't get that. Take feelings out of it. Take emotion out of it. Take relationships out of it. I just look at the facts of it. You're looking at one person who's involved in a secret society. They do illegal acts, violent acts. I get it, but it's amongst themselves. It's amongst the, the criminal element. You got the other group of people who are pedophiles, hurting kids. What is a bigger danger? Any kid, every, every, nobody's safe. And they're saying that somebody labeled organized crime is a bigger threat? It's odd to me, folks. Odd to me. But listen, we all have different... I think that's the problem, really, with YouTube. You have all of these... And it's not a problem. Let me reword that. It's just, it's just it is what it is type thing. You have all these different people from all different backgrounds, all different belief systems, all different ideologies coming together and crashing. And when that happens, it creates sparks, right? It's like almost like an explosion. All these ideas, all these philosophies, all these ways of conducting yourselves, all these whoever's emotional. Who, who, some people are emotional. Some people are anger, angry. Some people are stoic. All these different personalities coming together and clashing. And what does it create? A cluster you-know-what. And if you notice on a lot of these channels, forget about different you know, a genre that people are familiar with. Look at any genre. A lot of these genres, when everybody, you have all these different personalities, just constant fighting and bashing and abuse. And, and it is toxic. If you don't know how to utilize and if you can't control shutting down who to interact with, who to acknowledge, who to make invisible, who not to even look at, if you can't decipher that and separate yourself, it's really a cesspool of, of chaos and degeneracy in a lot of ways. So you have to use these tools to your advantage, and you have to use them in the right way that best suits you. The internet, YouTube, social media, all phenomenal tools if you use them the right way. And if you navigate them in the correct way and you don't get caught up in all the BS and the back and forth and entertaining garbage people. I look at it very simplistic. I look at it like 
if I deem somebody a garbage pail, the same way I wouldn't deal with them in my private life, I'm not going to acknowledge them on here. Nothing has changed for me. So as time goes by now, at the beginning, you make new relationships. You don't really know who's who. You're navigating. You're going through. You're meeting people. It takes time. As I said, these are virtual relationships. You have no gauge. You have to see only time. Time is your only gauge. So you have to see how these people conduct themselves, what they do. Then you could determine who may align with you and who may not, who's somebody you want to associate with and who's somebody you don't. And for me, in real life, if I see somebody's a garbage pail, I want nothing to do with them. And that's how I am on here. You're a garbage pail in my eyes. I want nothing to do with you. I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't like me, who think I'm a bad person, who think whatever. Forget it. I mean, go in some of those, uh, some of those uh, chat rooms of the shows who love informants, all the informant-loving chat rooms or even the channels. Look at the comment section. Look at the chat. They rip me apart. <laughs> they rip me apart. They rip my pops apart. Now ask me what that means to me. Zero means absolutely zero, nothing. You know why? The same view these people have on me, I have on them. So they shouldn't like me. They shouldn't like what I stand for. They shouldn't like anything I represent because I don't like anything they represent. I don't like what they stand for. I don't like the people they associate with. So it's a two-way street. They have their view, I have ours. We're on two separate parts of the earth. We're on two separate parts. We'll never come together with that. It's two separate parts. It'll never be like this. It's always going to be like that. Two opposite ends. And that's life. Sometimes you're just on opposite ends. The only thing I do is I just act as if they don't even exist. For me, that works best. I just, I just treat it like I would in real life. I'm not going to walk in somewhere in real life into a bar or something where I know the element is not a group of people I'd want to associate with. So I look at it the same way on here. I'm not going to go to a channel or interact with somebody. That's just not for me. That's a person that I feel I can't relate to. That's all. So as far as I'm concerned, the attacks, they're going to keep coming. I'm sure they're going to intensify, uh, especially after the new year when I roll out a few things. I'm sure it's going to intensify, but game on is how I look at it. I'm going to keep doing my podcast. I got some great things planned. I have another good uh, courts and session segment coming up. It's going to be another, <clears throat> I believe it's going to be, oh, again, my arm broke. See, I got to keep my arm like in front of me. If I put it back, it like snaps off. <laughs> but anyway, I was saying uh, for the courts in session, I have a few that I want to develop. Uh, one's a cross-examination, and then there's another one. I really like that series. I think uh, I've got a lot of good feedback on it. And now with this module, more and more things uh, will pop up that I want to utilize. So, folks, with that said... Do not forget, please. Might this work? Yeah. Okay, there it is. Do not forget to go check out the WePushBack.com channel. I think everybody will like it. Um, I understand that sometimes, I guess some people think that my podcast may be a little boring and a little uh, tiresome. But for me, I enjoy this. I enjoy this just talking, uh, voicing my opinion, giving my insight. And I enjoy interacting with the good people I've met on here. I enjoy, I haven't really been watching any shows for a while uh, between working on The Appeal, between, uh, I actually, we were assigned a few new clients in the last couple of weeks, so that was good. And between my other businesses and family, I don't got to tell everybody out there, everybody got lives. Things get hectic and I just, I have not really had time for YouTube. Um, but I've met a lot of great people on here. Uh, for the ones that I've bonded with, for the, for the people that, I enjoy their content for the people that I enjoy their company. It's really been a pleasure on here, and I'll always do what I can to support those that I align with and that I have respect for, and I want to thank everybody, really. The most important things I want to thank all the subs, all the viewers, all the commenters, all the emails I get, the phone calls, the voice messages. I just... oh. This is kind of funny. I just want to say, um, I saw my father for a, uh, we had a uh, meeting, a legal visit to go over the appeal. And he actually told me he got many letters from viewers of the channel who just wrote him uh, positive letters. And he, he really found that cool. You know, I think I, I told you guys, you don't really get the whole concept of the podcast and how it works. I explained to him, it's like a radio show type thing, but he, he just doesn't grasp I shouldn't say he doesn't grasp it. He gets it, but I don't think he understands the reach it has. That's that's my point. He doesn't understand the reach it has. 
Um, and he he uh, he just wanted me to actually say he was very very appreciative of the mail he got, and he was very thankful for it. And that's all. I don't want to get into too much, but I just I just did want to pass that along. And I want to thank everybody for that too. That's a really tremendous gesture just to take your time to do something like that and just to write a letter to somebody you don't know just to kind of lift their spirits a bit. I, I truly thank everyone who's done that and, and all the kind words and all the well wishes. I, I really, it means a lot. It really does. I'm humbled by it and I didn't expect it on any level. So it means a lot. I expected all the hate. All the hate I expected, all the abuse, all the forums that are abusing me, all the comments, all the content creators putting up my picture. And you know what's funny? They use a picture that was done for 914 Magazine in Westchester. It was like 20 accomplished people or something. So I don't know what they're abusing. I mean, it was a picture. And they were trying to say like I had makeup on. Yeah, when you do a photo shoot, they do put makeup on. I couldn't do anything about that. Um, that was a while ago. I was a lot younger then, too. But I don't know, it's just weird what they think is an insult. Uh, I guess accomplishments are an insult. And I said this on a past episode. Anytime they want to compare resumes and accomplishments and what they've done and the mark they've made on society, I'll do it every day of the week. Every day of the week, whenever they want to compare that, I'll do it. So, and that's it for today, folks. Till next time. You've been listening to the Justice Tech Pros podcast with Dominic Crea, one of the most unique podcasts on the internet, discussing the obstacles the defense team faces when trying a case, what goes on behind the scenes during pretrial and motion phase, holding defense attorneys accountable, making sure they're fighting for their clients, the difference between textbook law and how things truly play out in a courtroom, and everything in between. And everything in between. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we'll be back soon until then find us on twitter facebook and instagram at justice tech pros to email the show with questions and comments it's podcast at justicetechpros.com till next time this is justice tech pros podcast and dominic crea signing off <laughs> <laughs>